We've seen disasters on trains, on boats, and even on buses, but now it's time for the most deadly of them all. Roller coasters. George Segal must stop a madman targeting theme parks all around the country in Roller Coaster. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. You know me, no ambition. Oh, is that the first quote you've said from a movie that's like, that's true, that's shoot. I I think I think in Home Alone, one of the later ones, I said I'd rather be dead, and that one oh, also applies. That was also true. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. Fair. fair. All right, welcome everyone. It's a movie podcast. We get together. We are working through seventies disaster season. We have been doing some wild picks over the last couple of weeks, and today we're going to look at nineteen seventy seven's roller coaster. So we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. We'll give you the, the, the general feelings. We'll move on. Uh, before we get into the show, though, I'll, I'll just take this moment to say, hey, if you're enjoying it, please do hit the like button. It helps us out a bunch if you do. And, of course, you can support us over at patreon.com slash TV and get some bonus shows on a monthly basis. We'll tell you more about them at the end. But, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. Roller Coaster is a movie about a, well, a terrorist, I guess we'll call him. Uh, yeah. He likes to sabotage roller coasters and then starts holding the owners of all these amusement park chains uh, for for ransom or you'll start blowing up more roller coasters so that is the basic premise of the film um mm-hmm. i had never seen this i'd never heard of it even until we started looking into okay what other 70s disaster movies are there out there but i'll tell you this it's got an advantage going into this week is that it's coming a week after cyclone so yes it, 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 it almost can't not look good in comparison compared look, to Cyclone. If, you, if this movie just completely stopped and had half an hour of watching paint dry, I would still put it above Cyclone. <laughs> this is very true. So uh, this is directed by James Goldstone. Never heard of him. I, I don't nope. think I know anything he's done, but... No idea. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm having a quick glance. This is he, just because every so often there'll be someone who's known for like a famous movie. I just didn't happen to know who directed that famous movie. Mm-hmm. But luckily, I don't see anything like that on his IMDb page. He did two episodes of the original Star Trek. Hey, that's some. So, yeah, some. So yeah, we have a cast. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll talk about who's in the movie. But I, I think we'll just start off with the general feelings, David. Hmm. How did you feel about Roller Coaster? Well. I, I can't remember which one of the ones it was, but there was another movie that we did where I basically, I don't want to say chastised it, but I, I was interested going into it because it wasn't a disaster movie. Like, it wasn't a stereotypical w- way that the disaster movies are. And this is another one of those where it starts out seeming like it's going to be a disaster movie, but honestly, what it turns into is like... A cat and mouse detective game, more or less. It's it's kind of like a diehard at places. I don't know how best to describe it, but it's got oh. its own thing going on. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a diehard. I, I think maybe what you're looking for more, it's more like the middle chunk of Dirty Harry when they're like trying to give the yeah. bad guys money, right? Because it's, it's all about a ransom and it's all about having someone fill in and be the guy who hands the bag over to the... the it's a, yeah, it's, that's it's, fair. It's very much that kind of thriller 
it's 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 also just that point of the bad guys you know in control for so long and then there's a point where our hero or whatever takes control of things and they start trying to one-up the other guy that's that's more where i was getting more of the diehard from but yeah it's if i have to make a direct comparison i'd say the center part of dirty harry is the most closely mapped to this almost to the point where it felt like some of the scenes were very similar when they were like hey we're going to Mm -hmm. do this and we're doing this in this park and when they say park i mean amusement park in this case uh yes there's a lot of scenes in amusement parks in this movie yeah okay so that goes to the the part i was going to get to of but um this could just be an advertisement for king's dominion for like an hour of this movie and it's a two hour long movie so I, I feel like at certain points it gets a little bit, I don't want to say dragging, but it it seems to confuse length with tension, <laughs> where there's this idea of, oh, there's this bomb somewhere, and in order to defuse it, we got to deliver this money. But like, they just keep going and going and going, and we don't even know where the bomb is. We have no idea what's going on with this, so it's a problem of the tension kind of wears out after a while. And it just keeps going. Yeah, the the in the middle of the movie, the big set piece in this this theme park in in Virginia. Uh, mm. Part of it is that the bad guy makes the good guy go around the park and just go on all the different rides. So there's just kind of this extended section where we're just watching him go yeah. on the rides. And what's worse is I've been to that park. I, I <laughs> recognize some of the things that were there. I've been there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've not been to any of the parks that are in this movie, but I mean, most amusement parks look kind of similar. <laughs> it's like yeah. if, if they all kind of fit the same mold, um, a lot of the same kind of rides, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it. I think I think it's a perfectly fine movie. I don't think it's particularly mm-hmm. good. I don't think it's bad. I think it is just kind of, it, it's very serviceable in what it does. It's got dependable enough cast members. It's got an interesting enough premise. I do kind of like how the the direction handles the villain. Uh, it does this mm. thing where he'll just kind of show up in the background before he walks into like this, you know, into into the foreground, and his presence becomes more known. But they do kind of treat him like he's this master of disguise. All well, he's not even a master of disguise. No one just knows what he looks like except the audience. So he just yeah. kind of like he'll walk past like important characters as they're talking about things, and it's like and the strings and the 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 score will start going like. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. We're we're treating him like this stealthy genius, and yeah, I kind of enjoy some it, of that stuff. Yeah, at the very beginning of the movie, we see him directly. Like, we know the whole way through who is responsible for this stuff, but it is just this idea that because the characters don't know, whenever he's managing to, as you put it, stealth his way into these like situations where he's able to basically sneak in and out unnoticed because of just how bland he is it it's adds that little bit of extra tension to it of like no turn around he's right there you just passed him i mean honestly i would go as far to say that i was kind of i mean I, I wouldn't say i was super into it but i would say the first half an hour or so i was like yeah this is all right i was i was kind of into it i was enjoying the main games and the opening mm-hmm. roller coaster set piece and all that um it's once it gets to the, the actual ransom let's try and give him the money that's yeah. where it kind of starts to the pacing really, really starts to grind, and it feels like, oh, we must be building up to another disaster moment. There must be more roller coaster things that go on throughout the movie, and it's actually quite lacking in that after the opening set piece. 
Yeah, it's strange. I mean, when you really break it down, this movie is called Roller Coaster. There is a sequence at the very beginning of this movie that makes good on this and at the very end of the movie. But the middle bit has nothing to do with roller coasters at all. Yeah, it, it's this. It's funny because early on in the film, after the initial thing, you see the villain go to another city and you hear about a fire at another park. And I thought, oh, this mm -hmm. is interesting. He's going to travel around the country and they're going to be trying to race to stop and try and find which park he's going to hit next. But then it becomes this ransom pattern. thing. You know, it sort of stops and then becomes this other thing. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's a little less interesting, but that's, you know, whatever. Uh, but at that point, it was just kind of a pacing thing more than anything. If they'd condensed down, like, half of the scenes that came after the 30-minute mark, it might have been a little better than it was. But I, yeah. I don't think it was ever, like, terrible, though. It was always perfectly serviceable. Like, it, it does look very favorable next to something like Cyclone, because this still feels like a movie. It feels like a, you mm -hmm. know, universal distributed this it feels like a, a studio made it it feels like it's got stars it's got all these things it's just, it's just not a particularly impressive movie either yeah so. there were sequences in cyclone that we talked about could just be straight cut and it like wouldn't matter at all because the plot was meandering and barely had a focus this plot was focused the whole time i don't feel like it was ever just completely going off on random offshoots that aren't coming back yeah. in some way but i do think that being a two-hour-long movie, there are sequences that could be trimmed down. And, like, I mean, in that middle sequence, he must have ridden at least seven or eight different rides. And they make it a point of saying in there, like, oh, he's doing this purposely to wear us down. But, like, he's wearing the audience down, too. <laughs> we don't need all of yeah, that. Yeah, most of it could have been a montage. But instead, yeah. we get, you know, individual scenes of, like, all right, now he's on this ride. We don't know where he is, but he's on this ride now. Keep an eye on him. And, Over. And again, every single time that they hop onto a new ride, he specifically says, like, I want you to go to name of ride. And it just feels like an advertisement for King's Dominion at that point. It just feels like, by the way, if you like this roller coaster, you're going to want to check out King's Dominion. Yeah. Although it is kind of funny, though, that you're like, I get the, the critique and I'm sure it is kind of an advertisement in a way. But at the same mm -hmm. time, isn't it weird to advertise in a movie that's about potential terrorist threats at places like this. I mean, yeah, it's a bit that, odd. That is strange, but I also looked in every single one of the parks that they advertise in is a real thing. They didn't make up any, like, fake names to film at. All of them are the actual places. That's wild. You would, th you, you would think yeah. that they would see that as bad publicity, but... I guess not. I guess they, they figure, you know what? People show up for the roller coasters. They must like the danger. So we'll just tell them there's a terrorist around. They want the thrills. All right. So yep. cast-wise, uh, George Segal is our, our leading man. He works for the safety mm -hmm. and regulations place or whatever. The, I don't know what the title of the organization is, but... I, I love how this movie treats him like a cop when in reality <laughs> he's just a bureaucrat. <laughs> uh, but he he he, you know, he inspected the roller coaster that has the accident at the start like months ago. He approved it because they they check them every few months, which makes sense mm -hmm. for a place with roller coasters. You have to keep those those uh, topped up on the safety and all that. Yep. Um. So he's our main guy. Um. I know him mainly as a much older actor from uh, the sitcom Just Shoot Me. Uh. uh same thing. I know him uh, from his role in The Goldbergs, where he was okay. grandfather. Yeah, there. that's right. Yeah. If I didn't he just pass away in the last couple yep. of years, yeah. Just like past two or three years, yep. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I have seen him though uh, on the Ace uh, back in one of the seventies seasons. We did a movie with him. Uh, okay. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was the Something Man because they were doing like experiments on him to try and make him stronger or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, the Something Man. The Something Man. Not sure. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, but you know he's there, so he has he has a face. Um, we actually have a couple of other disaster seventies movies actors in here. Yeah. Um, not that that's what they're mainly known for. Well, one of them anyway. Because uh, Henry Fonda, of course, is a very prolific actor, very famous. He has a small yep. role in this as the head of the the institution that George Segal works for. He's like the man in charge. Very similar to his fire chief role in City on Fire. Yep. Um, and even more shockingly is that the one of the other main prominent characters is the guy from the FBI, uh, Hoyt, who is the one running the, the investigation and is working a lot with, with the main character. He's basically the exact same character he goes on to play a year later in The Swarm because he was the military general who was working with Michael Caine and yelling at yep. him and saying, no, no, we'll do it our way. That's exactly the same thing he is in this. He's like, no, no, we'll do it the FBI's way until he's like, no, you're right. You're, you're the expert. You know what you're doing, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then Character. on the piv- the pivot of that, we have uh, Harry Guardino, who in this movie is kind of whatever. He's just a chain-smoking cop in the background or probably FBI agent. Yeah. But I love it that he's essentially, again, the same character that he was in the Dirty Harry franchise, where he's just this this cop on the edge off to the side. He's just like, damn it, we can't be doing this stuff. Yeah, he's just there to have the odd comment for the audience, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then notably, not a big role, but the main character's daughter, if you happen to recognize her, was played by Helen Hunt. Oh, yeah, that was. Yeah, she's very young here, of course. She's a, you know, she's mm-hmm. a teenager, uh, it's, and she's got this 70s haircut. So it doesn't, she doesn't stick out immediately, but if you know it's Helen Hunt you're looking for her, you're like, oh, that's her. That's weird. She's so yeah. young. But... Yeah, but I mean that was the that was the main cast that stuck out. Obviously, the other main character that we've not really mentioned is the the villain himself, mm-hmm. who is just credited as a young man because he's mysterious, which yep. I can respect that they're trying to keep the villain mysterious. Although it did feel like early on they were trying to set up that there was more to him as like a bachelor, because like, because they do a whole thing with like, oh, he's clearly yeah. smart, he knows engineering, he knows these things, he must have more of a story to him, and then they never do anything with it. Yeah, there's one point in here where he's obviously at these amusement parks, there's a bunch of different like little carny sort of games off to the side. And there's one point where he's doing a like a sharpshooting game and he's great at it. And when he's done, you see that he wears his watch the way that like snipers do with the face turned Mm. to the inside. And all of that stuff was very clearly shown off. It was shown like, you know, he has all this. And I'm waiting for the reveal. I'm waiting for it to be like, here's his backstory. Sure. And they just never do. It made me think of uh, Dennis Hopper and Speed. I kept waiting for the, oh, mm. this is why he's doing it. He wants his gold watch. You know, it feeds into who he's been in his past. I, I was kind of waiting for that reveal. Because uh, right. maybe that's actually a better comparison. I, definitely than Die Hard, I would say, is Speed. Because it very much feels like you've got the yeah. bomber on the phone kind of giving instructions to Keanu oh, yeah. Reeves. You know, there's definitely a lot of parallels to that. Um. This actor is called Timothy Bottoms, which is a slightly funny name, so <laughs> apologies for that, Timothy. Uh, honestly, though, the main thing that stuck out about him is that I kept getting, like, Paul Rudd vibes from him. It's like, he's slightly creepy, but he's, like, a slightly creepy... If you told me this was Paul Rudd's father, I'd be like, yeah, I can see it. I I get what you're saying. I, I think he does a good job of playing inconspicuous, but, like, 
I, I think what his best aspect is, is that he somehow is so normal that he manages to stand out in the crowd. Mm. If that makes sense. Like every, there's one sequence in this where it's like a concert or something and he's just standing there. He's not dancing around with the rest of the crowd. And obviously the camera's giving him focus, but I think even if it wasn't giving him focus, if it was like a zoomed out shot of the entire crowd. Your eyes would still kind of lock onto him because he just seems so out of place, despite the fact he's not doing anything inherently wrong. Mm, yeah, he's also he's also sort of perfected that stare of like I'm troubled mm. that I'm up to something <laughs> kind of thing. Oh yeah, he has a very soft spoken voice as well, which makes it just that all the more unsettling during the phone calls. Yeah, it's funny because like I feel like we get to the end, and the only thing I know about it, the the the, the reinforced throughout the movie is that he really loves cotton candy because you see him eat cotton candy like right. three or four times. That's like the yeah. one thing we really know about him. Because uh, I felt like, yeah, I thought that, like, he's good at shooting. He's maybe got a history in military service. Mm -hmm. um, he knows engineering. I thought they were setting up, oh, we're going to reveal that he was this, you know, guy who feels wrong by his country, and that's why he's doing all this for money now or something. But they never yeah. they never go into it at all. I mean, it very easily could have been, like, a post-nom thing that they were trying to allude to. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it's weird that the movie just never gave any information on him. And I don't think it hurt the movie. I don't think it was a bad thing that they didn't include anything but it is a strange choice that they set up so much of it and then just never delivered yeah yeah it's strange so yeah that, that is the, the the main cast uh throughout mm -hmm. the film uh i'm trying to think if there's much else to I, I guess we could talk about how they handle some of the action stuff i mean there's some obvious dummies in the opening like scene yeah uh i did kind of enjoy though just like they have some visuals of like you know the, the the cars from the roller coaster just sort of flying through the tops of like the stalls and things like that and mm -hmm. crashing onto the ground and that was that was a fun visual yeah i mean when it comes down to the action this movie the shorter answer is there is none i think that's like yes there was that scene with it all crashing down on the stalls but outside of that there's nothing no. there is absolutely no action in this movie no, it feels even, very pared back compared to other disaster movies, yeah. Yeah, and even then, I mean, it's not that much of a spoiler, really, since it's in the opening sequence, but when the first, like, bomb goes off on the first roller coaster, it is the most pitiful little explosion to the point where nobody even knows it happened. Well, no, to be fair, though, I think that's an intentional thing. The whole idea is yeah. that this wasn't meant to be a big explosion you would hear. It's meant to be a precision strike. To the point where, when they come to investigate afterwards, like the initial assumption is that this is an accident and something's went mm -hmm. wrong. They think, hey, you checked this for safety. Why has this happened? They don't know there's a, a sabotage because it's not obvious because it was just literally one little bit of track was just popped. And I'm, I'm down with that. I Plot-wise, I get it. But as I'm watching the movie and they give so much focus on the fact that there is a bomb here, when it finally goes off and it's just a little like firecracker, essentially, I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> that's disappointing. Yeah, okay. I I get it. I get it. I'm, try I'm trying to have anything else spoiler-free wise I want to even really talk about because... Uh, the one thing that I actually found a lot, I wouldn't say it's interesting as much as it just stuck with me, is the soundtrack, specifically the score. It's got this weird repeating like carnival theme to it over and over again. That's it's not bad, but it's such a weird unsettling theme mm. for the movie. Yeah, I 
there was a weird song at one point, but then the camera went down and there was a band playing at the the, mm. the, the you know the carnival or whatever later on in the movie. And I was like, oh, I guess it's just this band's sound, but it had like a really funky kind of like duck whistle sound to it for the first yeah. like thirty seconds. That was strange. I actually, I actually looked that band up. Apparently, they are an art pop band called the Sparks. So. Maybe oh, they it's said just they had, artistry. They said the name in the movie. They said "Welcome to the Stage, the Spark." Oh, did they? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I must have missed that. I would never have remembered that if you hadn't just said it. But yeah, they did say that. Well, I looked it up by googling a lyric that was repeated like four hundred times during the big sequence. <laughs> it's like "Big Boy" over and over and over again. I mean, at this point, some of these scenes of just looking at people on rides and listening to the music were just. Like some of these like moments were dragging out for thirty seconds to a minute. So that's when yeah. I was checking Twitter. I, I was, <laughs> I was, oh, yeah. I was zoning out for periods during this because it was very clear the movie had established a rhythm to how it did these scenes where you could just stop mm-hmm. paying attention for like two minutes and you wouldn't miss anything because it would just yeah. be more more shots of people waiting in lines or or dancing or whatever, like just whatever you do at a, at a amusement park. Yeah, no, I mean that's. Honestly, that's the biggest problem, is that the first 30 minutes are really tight, all things considered. There is a little bit of a lag to it in some aspects, but for the most part, it's very nicely written. It's when you hit the second and third act that it just stretches it out as long as it possibly can. And there's always something going on, but it just takes so much longer than it should. Yeah, I think if you cut out like 20 minutes of this movie, you know, it's just spread out over those two acts. If you just mm. trim, every, you know, things here or there, probably mostly at the parks, I think you get it down probably to a, a tighter overall experience. It wouldn't necessarily fix every problem, but it would, it would definitely nicely tidy up a bit. Yeah. So, all right, spoilers for Roller Coaster. I think there's not much to, to dance around here now, so uh, spoilers from this point on. The the movie opens on the villain. It opens on the villain casing his first target. You know he's he's on the the pier and he's he's got his binoculars out. I especially loved the focus on the giant zoom button mm-hmm. that was on the binoculars, and then you see his POV zoom into the roller coaster, and that's when the title of the movie comes up. Yeah, I I think the the opening title sequence was actually pretty cleverly well done. It got me engrossed a lot more than it should have. Yeah, well, I think. Because the opening does take a bit of time before the the bomb goes off, and it's it's you know it's his him walking about the park and mm-hmm. just quietly taking in some of the, the attractions, and I, I did think this was the one time in the movie where it made sense because the movie's just starting, it's drawn you into what's going on, and you know something's going to happen, and unlike later parts of the movie, you know it's definitely going to go off without a hitch. Like this right. is going to start the movie, so it has to do something bad. Uh, and I, I think it mostly works in terms of atmosphere building up to this thing happening and you see people riding the roller coaster and you think oh is it now but then it's not that batch you know did, did that group mm-hmm. of people finish the roller coaster they get off and he keeps going back to the, our villain mr bottoms and he's looking up and he's 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 uh he's he's he's, he's building up almost like he's like a sex pervert just like okay when do i when do i do it when do i pop yeah. <laughs> like, like come on come on get on there so Let me see you ride it yeah, and eventually, yeah, there's a group of people get on and they're riding the roller coaster. And like, you know, I was surprised as well when the the thing went off and it was just this little thing. But all all it had to do was break that one bit of track, and that's okay, mm-hmm. right? So now they're going to go flying. Um, admittedly, I'm not so sure if the physics of where all these different cars go because they all land in different places, and I wasn't sure how much that yeah. made sense. But you know, whatever, it's a movie. 
I mean, I guess it could be a thing of once the first car derails, all the other cars, like, derail immediately afterwards. Like, it just causes a ripple effect going back. And then because they're going around a curve, each of them would fly off at a different point of the curve. I thought they're all connected, though. They might be. They probably are. But, mm. I mean, as soon as as soon as you... That's assuming they're all still on the rail. As soon as one of them derails, I'm sure that those connections aren't that strong. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But you would think it would still encourage them to land closely together. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's there's some that fly into completely separate parts that's, that's of the like, That's felt like they were on a carousel, and they were firing mm-hmm. off in different directions, almost. The, the way yeah. they were all landing just completely separately. But, I mean, I will say... In terms of this movie not having a lot of action, this particular shot is actually pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, specifically, there's one car that flips upside down, and they, I guess, keep mannequins or something inside, and it looks like the people are crushed, and they don't cut away from that. So it is pretty violent, all things considering. There's actually a shot later on that I really liked. It's from the middle part of the movie. It's when he's gone on all different rides at the Virginia Park, and mm. one of the ones that he does last, not the very last one, but one of the ones that he does near the end is a roller coaster. And it's this interesting like double lane roller coaster because there's like another set of cars on the other side and the guy's like, hey, I'll bet you a million that we'll win. Yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're both going to finish at the same time. It's kind of how it's designed. But yeah. um, but this this is when you know, he's in his suit, he's got his stupid hat on with the sunglasses and he's, he's riding with the suitcase full of money. And the shot that I really liked, it really made me feel like a sense of, I don't know, disorientation in like a good way is that the roller coaster is going around a bend and the camera like turns the opposite way and it almost feels like it's going off the track but then it yeah. spins all the way around and you see that no they're still on the track it was just the camera that spun the other way but it actually made me feel like oh you actually gave me like a bit of a jump scare almost there mm-hmm. uh, without a bang without any kind of you know it wasn't even a trick really it was just the camera just turned that way and it felt weird and it made me feel uncomfortable so yeah so props I'm to that i'm entirely sure how they did it honestly yeah it was uh <sighs> yeah i don't know i'd have to go back and check how long the the camera was with the track before it mm. did that turn because it may have just cut the start of the turn and if it did that then it would probably have just been like a helicopter going next to it yeah and turning or something like that i don't know but i don't know um, either way it, yeah I, I remember that shot exactly because it is a it's a weird shot and it does give you that sense of like oh wait no that's in fact i think that's something that's used in a lot of like modern day uh they're not roller coasters but you know like in amusement parks they'll put you in like a dark room and then just have like screens that give the feeling of motion Mm. it's something that's used a lot in those where they'll give you like a screen of like okay your track's going forward and nothing interesting's gonna oops there's a hole and it's just immediately Mm. starts plunging you down so yeah no definitely interesting for the time well, yeah, so George Siegel's character, uh, Harry Calder, is introduced, mm-hmm. and he's trying to quit smoking. He's at some place that's giving him electric shocks <laughs> when he's smoking, so that sets up his character trait of the movie, is mm-hmm. he's trying to quit. Uh, but he's called in, and again, no one knows this was sabotage yet, so he's called in because he's the one that investigated the safety of this place a couple of months ago, and he's called in to come and look at it, and when he gets there, you know, this old man who works at the park is looking up and he's in shock and he's like, hey, old man, you all right? And he's like, but but Harry was up there. He had a check to see if it was okay. And when mm-hmm. Calder asked the other guys who, you know, run this place about this Harry, the Harry guy's there and he's like, 
No, yeah, I checked it, but I check it in the morning, like, and then go have breakfast, so I wouldn't have been there at that time. So clearly right. what the movie's telling us is that the maintenance worker this guy thought he saw was actually the villain uh, up there planting his explosive. Um, mm. And this is like a little seed of doubt where Harry Calder's like, hmm, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. because, they, I mean, that would be enough to check it on its own, but then the owner or whatever specifically shuts it down by saying, like, yeah, but that dude's senile as hell. Like, don't listen to a word he says. Yeah, and it's actually not until there's a second incident, and even it's not even like as soon as the incident happens, it sets off alarm bells. It, Harry just so happens to see it on a newspaper that there was this mm-hmm. fire at another park, and he starts investigating there. At this point in the movie, it's, it's introducing that he's got a girlfriend and an ex-wife, and he's he, he, yeah. he has his daughter for certain days to take her on things. He's getting her a hamster. Which, like, almost comes up in a plot towards the end but oh this really pissed me not. off like i thought i knew what they were doing here yeah. I, I i thought they were setting up some like personal jeopardy for the final act and mm-hmm. then they just have them stop it from becoming a thing it was really yeah. weird we'll get to it later i very odd strange choice it's very strange choice um but yeah there's like a little montage of the villain going to the other city and it doesn't show you what he does you just see a little bit of the aftermath and him like going back on the plane and be like I'll come back to Pittsburgh. I love your candy floss. Like a serial killer. (laughs) Nobody else could ever say that. Only the serial killers. So, but basically, the thing that really tips off Harry Calder that something big's going down is that he's trying to get in touch with the head of an amusement park and finds out that he's in Chicago at this hotel. And when he tries to get in touch with a second owner of an amusement park that's related he's also going to be in Chicago at the same hotel. And he's like, wait, why are they meeting at a hotel in Chicago? So this is where Harry stumbles upon an eyes wide shut orgy <laughs> happening at a hotel in Chicago. No, what it actually is, is that, and he has to like bluff his way there. He has to like threaten Henry Fonda, his boss to like pay for the trip by like saying, Hey, that, that roof that collapsed in a building last year, your son-in-law did the work. It sounds like Tower of Inferno almost. Your son-in-law did the electric work on that. I, I love this sequence so much because, like, it's straight up a cop scene. Like, it's straight it up a thing of, like, I got it. It's under my jurisdiction. I got to do this. <laughs> this is this is that one case that got away sort of thing. But, like, they're bureaucrats. They are safety <laughs> inspectors. And if you just keep that in mind, this scene is just absurdly funny. That is, that is fair. But he has to go to Chicago. He has to go and uh, get his way into this hotel room. Although he's not the first one to get into this hotel room. So mm-hmm. what this turned out to be is that five different owners of amusement parks or amusement park chains, maybe even a better way of putting it, is yep. they're meeting here because one of them got a tape, a ransom tape from the the terrorist, right? From from Bottoms, from Paul Rudd. And Man, you keep changing names every time you bring them up. <laughs> I know. I can't decide if I want to call them Bottoms or Paul Rudd. Both are funny to me. but Call them Little Timmy Bottoms. But they're they're in this hotel room and the door knocks and you're I think the audience is thinking this is going to be Harry because we know he's on his mm-hmm. way, uh, but so it's a nice little misdirect. It's, it's room service, but then the room service guy comes in and it's him. It's the bad guy. It's Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. So he's like giving them some croissants or something, right? He's like complimentary room service. But what mm-hmm. he's actually doing is he's tapping the room. He's putting a little bug in the the light shade. So okay he's going to listen to this conversation so he leaves and he actually almost bumps into harry on his way out harry comes in and he's like hey i'm from so-and-so i'm with health and safety blah 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 
let me in i have to talk to you guys about what's going on or if not i'll go to the newspapers and just tell them what i think and they're like right. okay come on in he's like hey do we mind if he's here while we listen to this tape and he's like who gives a shit play the tape so they play a tape I, I like how the other people in the room agree to it mainly because they don't know what the hell is going on either yeah they don't like, know what the only tape the is. one guy knows he's just like play the tape i don't care who's here come on so is this ransom tape where he's like hey you five are going to pay me a million dollars which actually seems quite low for like mm. ransoming five like one percenters at the same time like like one million yeah. each would have maybe made more sense i know it's 70s well, money but well yeah I, I actually because of a later scene i actually did the translation on how much it's worth essentially it's five times as much nowadays so it'd be like five million dollars instead which is still low it still feels a bit low but yeah you know maybe this is uh what was i watching was that a movie we did recently where, uh, yeah i think it was juggernaut where the ransom money wasn't actually too high. It was like very, it was like a respectable mm. amount because he felt that's what he was, what he was owed. And yeah. No more, not a penny more. Just, I mean, that is, uh, that is a thing as we get phone calls with uh, little Timmy Bottoms here. He does specifically say like, this isn't for attention. This is for something else. This is, you don't know me personally and I'm not going to reveal what it is, but this well, well, is specifically is, for something. Which is why we thought it was going to reveal something later about who he was and what his backstory yeah. was and it never did. Nope. So the big thing here is to listen to this tape and he makes his demands and they start discussing it. And as they're discussing it, do we pay it? Do we not? Do we contact the authorities? And hell, the, the, the ransomer, because normally what they say in this is like, don't you go to the police or I'll know and I'll, I'll, I'll do stuff. He actually hmm. just says, hey, if you want to involve the authorities, that's up to you. Doesn't affect me either way. Go for it. Either way, I want my money. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, it's not going to stop my plan. I, I figured you guys would call the cops, so go for it. I'm not even going to care. But the important thing here, other than the fact that it kickstarts the, the main plot of the movie, is that Harry interjects and gives advice here. And this impresses the villain, right? This is, I think this was the key thing, and it's why the villain picks Harry to be the guy to, to hand off the money and so on and so on, is because Harry jumps in and says, whoa, whoa this isn't just some nut, jo- nut job with a bomb. This isn't just some wacko, because he clearly is intelligent he knows engineering he knew where to do it on the track he knows how to mm-hmm. sneak in and sneak out he's clearly very very experienced in a lot of key skills and you can see from a, you know across the street which although i will critique here he seemed to get across the street into his other room where he was monitoring this room very very quickly yeah i i saw I, it was enough that it pulled me out for a second so yes it is a valid critique here yeah. but uh, whatever yeah, it doesn't impact the plot it's minor but it's cause, because you see him leaving as harry's walking into the room and mm. the, the scene effectively plays out in real time from then the fact that he's already in position to listen to this call like 30 seconds later is like like you had to get to the lobby you had to cross the road you had to go up the other elevator in your building yeah. it, just, it takes a bit of time is all I, I would have loved it if he actually was like fully changed into like a robe and he was just relaxing for a minute, and then he looked <laughs> up at the window just to give it that even more sense of time passing. But basically, he is impressed with Harry, and it's it's almost like like I hate to always compare things to Batman, but it is a little bit like the Joker hearing Batman for the first time and being like, "Oh, a rival. This is this could be my nemesis kind of thing." Yeah, I I'm not so sure it's that. I feel like it's more along the lines of everyone in that room is just kind of like, okay, well you know, what do we do? No one's really taking charge or anything. It's him stepping up, but more specifically, it's him stepping up and saying, this guy is smart. Mm. And that's, that I think goes into whatever it is 
he is looking for, whatever the terrorist is trying to get across, is that he is able to outsmart. That's why he's so confident that he's able to beat the police, even if they get involved, is that he feels self-confident. Hearing that from someone else is like, all right, me and you are going to be friends. <laughs> so, and that, this actually plays into it, because after this, they call in the feds, and this is where we, we meet Hoyt. And when Hoyt mm -hmm. comes in and talks to Harry for a minute, he's like, well, thank you for your work, Harry. Write up a commendation for this man. Uh, but you can go back home now. That's, we'll take it from here. He's actually told to go. And Harry seems a little bit miffed that he's not being kept involved. But it makes sense that he wouldn't be kept involved because yeah. why would he be? He's not the authorities. He's, he is a safety inspector. Yes. So he's sent home. And to be to, to the movie's credit, like, well, he looks a bit miffed because it looked like he wanted to be kept involved. He, he, okay, he accepts it. He goes home. Mm -hmm. he's, he's back home. He's working on his car. He's just, he's doing his thing. And then the feds show up at his house and say, hey, we need to talk. And it turns out that the bad well, actually, guy... Yeah, the, the right before the feds show up, though, oh, yeah, he actually I, gets a call. I know, I was going to mention yeah. that. I'm just, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm just, you know, the, the, but the broad strokes here is that the feds show mm -hmm. up and are like, yeah, the bad guy wants you to be the money man. He wants you to be the guy that, like, hands over the cash and be as the pawn and the, the, the plan that he's got. And like you said... Mm -hmm. um, Right before this, he gets a phone call from the villain who makes a vague comment about Virginia. And when the feds mention, oh, this this, this is going to happen in Virginia, he's like, shit, the bad guy just called me. And they all freak out. And not only that, as soon as they leave, the bad guy calls him again and says, make sure you bring some warm clothes. He gets nippy at night. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's... I can't remember how that scene ended with the feds specifically, but it, it, didn't he pretty much say, like, no, I don't want to do it? Like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be... I mean, he, he kind of says that roughly, but he also kind of ends in this, like, well, he's going to have to. He's not really got a choice. But, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, because we see that even here, he's close by. He's got a car phone. He's just down the street. So he's, even mm -hmm. here, he's, like, close by and listening in somehow. Which, I can't remember. Was car phone a thing? In the 1970s? I know it was in the 80s. Was it in the 1970s? It, it must have existed because it looked like a car phone. You know, yeah, phone. he was definitely in the car with a phone, but it just no, but I mean, threw me off. I mean, when he hangs it up and he's, the thing that he plugs it into, like it looks like an old car phone. So, uh, mm. it, you know, I don't think this is science fiction. It must have existed in some capacity by 1977. Yeah. That's fair. Hold on. I'm, I'm taking a look here. Uh, North America looks like it was available. It says 1984. So I don't know. It was available in other countries before that. Maybe it's just kind of a thing he adapted over. Possibly. I mean, it could be a thing where maybe this thing doesn't technically count as a car phone. Maybe this is just a, you know, because it wasn't installed into the car. He literally had it sitting on the seat as if it was like yeah. something he'd brought in. So it's like a radio thing. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. it, it didn't seem like, oh, they're doing bullshit science fiction here where they've just made up some technology. It looked like a real thing of some sort. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and by today's standards, it looked very... On this subject, I was thinking, actually, because early on, they make a big deal of like when he's unzipping his pocket to get out his like, little uh, transmitter that he's using to set mm -hmm. off the explosive. And I was thinking, oh, man, like these days, it would be way more easy to do this because you just use a phone. You just use your phone oh, to yeah. set the thing off. But back in these days, this big chunky block with like one dial on it and a button that he's pressing. I mean, that is... There's an extended sequence where Harry's going around the park and he's just... He's got this radio in hand, 
and he's just talking into it. I feel like if I saw somebody with that nowadays, I'd be like, what the hell are you've got there, man? What's, what is that? <laughs> Looks like a bomb. Like it's, it's, but no, I, like you said, nowadays it's a thing where anybody pulling anything out of their pockets, is vaguely rectangular shaped. You're like, that's ah, their phone, whatever. Yeah. How times have changed since the, mm-hmm. since the seventies. So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the, the, the way the movie then goes, is that the big chunk of the middle of the movie is we're in Virginia, and, okay, he requested this suitcase, so they all assume, and it's actually Harry who, again, is this smart guy, he's like, hey, he's probably going, the reason why he's probably requested this exact suitcase is because he's going to try and switch it at some point with a, with a duplicate, and mm-hmm. then the, the police will all be looking for the duplicate by, you know, accident, and he'll be off with the real money, so they're all anticipating that. They're also anticipating, you know, he's going to wear a wire. They're going to have him always, like, saying what he's doing so they know where he is. You know, they've thought of all this, but the whole big bit of the movie here is that the villain is smart and he's thinking one step ahead. He tells him to take off the wire. He tells him to not signal the, the feds with whatever the backup signal was, which in this case was take off the sunglasses kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, he says, no, do it when I tell you to so that the feds all come rushing in. And I'll know if you lie because they won't come rushing in. Um, yeah, because the big re- that's, yeah, go ahead. yeah, the big reveal obviously after twenty minutes of him taking rides <laughs> is that the walkie-talkie he's talking to Harry on because he he has a he has a delivery guy deliver a walkie-talkie to him, um, you know a little bit into this segment because the, the first time he talks to him is on a payphone, but mm-hmm. a little bit into it, a delivery guy d- delivers a walkie-talkie. He's using that to talk to Harry throughout this entire thing. He's making him read all these different rays in the park as the feds are just painfully watching and waiting for something to happen. And then the reveal is, is that the walkie-talkie he's holding is the bomb that he's threatened the might set off if they don't do what he says. So now, obviously, Harry's like, shit, I'm holding a bomb. And that, that you know, is, is yeah. a it, big money it's moment. A, it's a good transition in order to get us to the final stage of the scene. But again, I think that that's a problem with the first 20 minutes of him riding rides is that we don't know where the bomb is and therefore there's not really this sense of tension to it or at least it's significantly lessened from what it should be i so the in- yeah no go ahead i i actually don't think it's a problem we don't know where the bomb is i i think the tension is there because you can just have a reveal at some point of where the bomb is i think the problem with this whole segment is that at the start, it starts off fine, because it's like, okay, here's your first instructions. Go to this booth and get this hat with your name on it, and he mm-hmm. makes him wear this stupid hat. And to me, the fun of this sequence is like, okay, I expect the killer, or the... Well, he's a killer, but, you know, the, yeah. but like the bad guy. I expect him to get away with this because he's smart and because he's got a plan to trick them. And to me, the fun of the scene should be, okay, let's watch... The, it's almost like a reverse heist where we're seeing like what the genius plan is from the perspective mm-hmm. of the people who don't know what's going on. And it's like, okay, so then he's going to do this bit, and he's going to do this bit. And each part, we're going to start to slowly piece together what his ultimate plan is to get away with the money. The problem is that there is no intricate plan here. It's just go on this ride. Okay, now go on this ride. Now go on this ride. There's nothing fun about this. It's just the same well, thing over and over again. I'll, I'll disagree with one piece there. There is an intricate plan. There is a plan that he has in order like the reason that he got the hat is to get the delivery guy there and then yes. the, at the very end of this whole sequence when he reveals there's a bomb he specifically has him in this like gondola ride so that he can guarantee that nobody around 
is going to be one of the agents. The problem being is that this intricate plan essentially has a 40 minute long in their time minimum of just like, and now we wait. That's what I'm and saying. And now we just yeah. stop. Is like it's the, part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. But the fact that one step is essentially pause. That's what I'm saying, though. The, the, the mm-hmm. plan is boring. Yeah. <laughs> like that. The whole the whole excitement is that okay, how's he tricking them? And you expect it every like step along the way to keep your mind sort of guessing. But then mm-hmm. we spend. I mean, we're saying twenty minutes. It's probably not quite as long as that, but it felt that long. It yeah, felt it, as long as twenty close. minutes. Where you're just watching this man in a certain tie who looks out of place because he's not there to be a you know a tourist. He's not there to take part in the raids, but he's going on raids holding this suitcase. If I, I was one point, say, that's the part that's so great about yeah. it is that all these rides he has to bring the suitcase on, so it's always just a little thing sitting next to him instead of a loved one. There's even a quick scene actually where you know one of the employees says you can't take a suitcase onto a raid with you, and an FBI agent like runs up and goes, "No, sorry, ma'am, he has to take that case with him." And just flashes the badge, and I just I love the idea that every single raid almost is like doing that because most of mm. them aren't suitable to take something. The gondola thing he's on at the end, which is where the sort of the plan actually starts to unfold, it makes sense mm. that you could take it on that because it's not a quick raid. It's not some you know you're not going yeah. up and down or it's just a quick casual. You know, it's a scenic raid where you're just kind of mm-hmm. taken in the sights by being up in so, there. So I just pulled up the movie again real quick. Yes. Uh, from the moment where he gets the walkie-talkie to the gondola ride, it is a solid 10-minute section. That is, that is too long. Yeah. And uh, keep in mind there, David is specifically picking, like, just the segment where there's nothing happening but raids. If you include yeah. all the stuff before... When, he, when they get to this park and then the stuff that happens after, this park section is absolutely 20 plus minutes. There is no doubt oh, in my yeah. mind. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've got it pulled up here. Let's see. It starts at the 45 minute mark and it ends at the one hour and 10 minute mark. So about 25 minutes total. Which, again, would be fine if the actual events were exciting, <laughs> but they're not. Yeah. It's, it's just go around no. and take rides in for for well 10 minutes apparently with nothing Mm -hmm. else happening so that is what it is but uh, there's there's a bit of a joke here because the whole idea is of course that he wants to trick the feds into coming in thinking that he switched the the case in the Mm -hmm. the raid so he tells them to take the glasses off or he's going to blow them up so he does and the feds all come rushing in thinking that the case must be on the same gondola car that he was on but when they get there and the raid comes to a stop, it's two priests that are sitting in it, which is yeah. vaguely amusing. I, I got a bit of a chuckle out of it. I got a chuckle just because it made Hoyt look stupid. <laughs> yeah. And him, him looking stupid is somewhat amusing because he's such a hard mm. ass. But uh, yeah. But yeah, so the, the whole sequence basically ends with him. Now that all the agents are focused on the gondola, uh, Harry's able to be on his own and he's able to set the case down and is told to walk away. And when he looks back, the case is gone. Yeah, what's just made me think that uh, Paul Rudd was hiding in the bush behind this bench and just sort of stuck his head out and grabbed it. And you know, I, I like to think that he was hiding in that bush for another two hours just because I didn't wait until all the feds have like stopped looking before I start yeah. walking around with this case. <laughs> I mean... I would have loved to see that. That would have been yeah. a fantastic little cutaway to just like his head popping out of the bushes yeah. and looking around. Although we do see later that he did hide it and came back for it. He, he, he strapped mm-hmm. it somewhere. Did we see that little quick he, snippet? Yeah, he, he strapped it because as they, as like maintenance vans and stuff were leaving the park, they were all being searched. So he actually strapped it underneath of a police van 
because he figured that <laughs> wouldn't be searched. And then he went back to the police precinct where they parked it outside and he got it later on. But, but yeah, it's funny. You're making them look smart. It would just be, if it was more exciting, that'd be nice. <laughs> that's all. Oh, yeah. That's Absolutely. all I'm asking for. That's all I really want. But if- so, yeah, the other big thing that happens at the end of the scene is while Harry's getting chewed out for not signaling properly, and Harry's like, I'm sorry, I had a bomb in my hand. I was a little bit distracted. <laughs> um, they essentially reveal that they broke one of his rules, which was no marked bills, and they instead gave him all marked bills. So Harry's not too happy with that because he figures this guy's going to be smart enough to figure that out. What she does, he immediately says, hey, these are all marked, so now I'm going to teach everyone a lesson. And that sort of sets up the threat of the the third act, which is he's going to strike somewhere and they don't know where. Mm -hmm. Though it does make the point that he's actually very upset with Harry specifically because he feels like Harry knew about this, despite the fact that he didn't. He does kind of seem like, no, Harry, you betrayed me. I thought we were cool. Which doesn't actually matter, though, because, like, he doesn't signal, he doesn't, like, go after Harry in any way. He doesn't, nothing comes of this, really. He, actually, I, I'll argue that point, and that is, obviously, he could strike anywhere in the country next. That's just a whole thing. Harry manages to piece together that there's a big oh, okay. roller coaster opening happening. All right. And it's because he inspected it that he's, like, that's he wants revenge on. Yeah, me. it's Magic Mountain. This new big roller coaster's opening, and Harry predicts that it will be this one that he hits because it's the Fourth of July. It's a brand new roller coaster. It's opening. It's one of the biggest in the country. But the the mm-hmm. icing on the cake is is that Harry's because it's in their territory. Harry's the one that signed off saying it was safe. Okay, you've got a slight point there, right? That's fair. But it felt more threatening though. Like that's not really. Oh yeah. It felt like, I don't know, maybe one of his loved ones should have been on the roller coaster. Because it, it felt like such a, a direct threat, like he was personally offended by him, thinking that he was mm. involved in the, the ruse, if you will, that it felt like it was more of a direct threat on his life. So the idea yeah. that he's going after a roller coaster that he inspected doesn't feel like a big deal to me, because it's not like this is going to ruin his career as a health and safety guy, because they know it's sabotage, they know it's not his fault. <laughs> yeah you're right so honestly this is this is the part of the movie where i really wanted there to be an explanation on what this guy wants or at least like a little bit of his backstory yeah because what we end up getting is the only thing he reveals is that he's targeting these people because amusement parks are like especially volatile or especially able to be like hit or something like that and that's all he says and I think it's the Hoyt who at some point says like, oh, that's what he said. Well, check people who all have stock in these companies and all five of these companies so that we can build up a suspect list. So maybe it had something to do with like... Nothing ever comes of that, by the way. That never leads yeah, anywhere. Never does. But like, because the movie's handing me it, I want to like say, okay, that must be important in some way in figuring out what in the hell this guy actually wants. But yeah. I got nothing. So, one of the little sub-things that's running throughout these phone calls at this part of the movie is that he's still trying to be a dad and a good boyfriend, and he's taking his girlfriend and daughter out on things, and they're showing that he's kind of distracted, he's kind of obsessed with trying to solve what's going on, and they kind of they bring this up to him, and he's like, look, I'm sorry, I know I'm distracted, next week we'll, you know, we'll go do a thing, I'll take you to San Diego, we'll go to the zoo, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's all very apologetic, and it's all nice enough. Mm-hmm. But the big thing that it sets up is that he gets the idea. He's figured out where he thinks he's going to strike. And Hoyt 
isn't receptive to it at first, but he kind of just changes his mind, says, you know what, you're right, this is the most likely target now that you've talked me into it. So they go and check out Magic Mountain. And Harry calls his girlfriend and says, hey, I know you're with my daughter, can you take her home? Um, I'll tell you why later, like, but this is serious, I need to do something. Mm. And as soon as the, the girlfriend hangs up the phone, uh, the daughter says, hey, you mentioned Magic Mountain. Can we go to Magic Mountain? It's something to do. And I thought, okay, you know what? That's a little uh, out of nowhere, but I get what you're doing. You're trying to give yeah. the third act more stakes by having the people he cares about, who the movie, it's not giving them a, a, a ton of plot, but it has established throughout the movie that he cares about his girlfriend and he cares about his daughter. And yep. you're going to put them in the place where the possible disaster might happen. So it gives him a personal reason, not just a, you know, a body of people that are innocent, but you've given me people that we know he cares about so that it's personally going to affect him. You've put a face to the victims. Which is why it's so baffling to me, just to skip ahead to how this wraps up, this particular mm. element of it, that he just runs into them while he's wandering the park after you know, they're looking for the bad guy and he sees them in the queue for the roller coaster, and they're not going to be on it first because they make a big point of saying, no, no, the people who are first in line have golden tickets, right? Yeah. They've, they've done like a competition or something, or they've bought expensive tickets to be the first people on this roller coaster. So they're not even going on first. And he bumps into them and he says, what are you two doing here? And they say, oh, we, we thought it'd be nice to come here and have a day out since you were busy. And he's like, no, this is a bad place to be right now. This is the worst place to be right now. And the girlfriend gets it and goes, oh, this is to do with all those phone calls you've been receiving, isn't it? And like the the, 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 the bad things that have been happening. And he's like, yep. And she's like, okay, good point. I'll take her away. And, I, and at this point, I was thinking, oh, the daughter's going to rebel and not like this and not understand why she's been told to go. And mm -hmm. she's going to put herself in danger because that's what most movies would do at this point. Instead, no, they just leave and we never see them again. <laughs> yep. Not even like after everything's wrapped up, like not even at the very end, does he meet up with them in the parking lot or something? It's just not. Nah, they're gone forever. That's it. They're just safe now. And I'm like, yep. why are you taking away this possible tension? This was personal stakes for him. Honestly, I'm so amazed that this movie managed to hit two hours where they didn't explore the villain. They took away, like, this whole stakes thing <laughs> Or here. even, actually, alternatively, actually, the other thing that I thought could have happened here is mm -hmm. that the bad guy, because he's... Because they, they've dismantled the first bomb and he's starting to, like... He's, like, rushing to make a second one because he's really determined mm -hmm. to have his moment, I thought maybe he would see Harry with his, with his family and decide, oh, people that he cares about, maybe he would, you know, directly go after them at this point as a way to get back to Harry. That doesn't happen either, of course, but that was the other potential thing here there's like there's like a million things they could have done like they could have had it during like the final chase sequence where he comes across harry's kid and like yeah. threatens her or something they could have done anything and they're just gone and it's yeah, just it's gone. amazing it, it, it's i've never seen a movie just for no reason just say no we don't want to have those stakes so we'll just take them away and that's fine <laughs> You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, well, I got the results of the test back. <laughs> I definitely have breast cancer. And instead, the only real stakes, other than just stopping him from, from blowing up a, another, you know, roller coaster and injuring mm -hmm. people and killing some people, 
which I know sounds like that should be a big deal, but it's not a personal thing, right? And we've already kind of dealt with right. it at this point. So the only real stakes throughout the movie that they really give you is that well, he gets stressed enough that he'll give in and start smoking again, and he he almost breaks a few times, even right at the very end. But yeah. then he decides not to, and the credits start rolling the second he decides not to. That is literally the final thing they go out on, is him choosing not to smoke. Credits roll. <laughs> like, I get it. I see what they're going for with it. But it also bothers me the fact that the first few times when he, like, nearly breaks, it's not a thing where, like, he sees someone smoking and then says, no, no, I gotta stay on track. No, he tries his hardest. He tries his damnedest to try to break. Like, he goes, he tries stealing cigarettes from his co-worker's desk. He talks to the dude from Dirty Harry, and is like, hey, can I bum one? And he's like, nah, I'm all out. He does everything he can to smoke. And it's only at the very end when he gets the cigarette that he's like, all right, I, I succeeded here. I shouldn't be doing this. I think by having that character who was chain-smoking from the FBI... I think they were going for this thing where he's he's evolving and maturing and he's better because he's trying to stop and that's part it's like an indication that he's smarter than him like he's smarter than them because he is trying to do this and at the end of the movie he's choosing the i don't know i i think they were trying to do something with it it, it, it felt very shallow it didn't feel like it had a, a lot of weight to it yeah i guess the other thing to talk about is the actual villain stuff in this third act where it's the opening yes. of this roller coaster and Again, there's a lot of potential here for like what they're doing, which is okay. He's looked at the blueprints of this roller coaster. He's like, okay, if he wants to have the maximum destruction, this is where he would set the explosive. And they send in bomb disposal guys disguised as maintenance workers, so not to freak anyone out mm. to look for the bomb. And they do find it, and we get like a whole sequence where they're like trying to, you know, disarm it. Uh, and it is, it is also a big deal here that like they don't have any confirmation there is a bomb on this. That for all they know he didn't hit up this park at all. It's only Harry's hunch yeah. that it is here. So when they do finally find it, everyone kind of looks at Harry and they're like, okay, man, we trust you now. You're good. Yeah, and and that's fine. I, I think there's, again, there's just segments of this that feel like they draw, they take a long time. Like, there's a lot of cutting back to the villain just enjoying his candy floss and looking around. Mm. Obviously, you're waiting for that moment where he notices that there's maintenance people up there and suspects they're up to something. And that hmm. moment when it happens is fine. Like, he goes to just trigger it to, like, sort of kill them at least. And instead, they've just cut the wire in time so that the signal doesn't happen. And it's like, oh, shit. Yep. Like, he's been foiled. There's, there's one little bit in here that I I critiqued the movie in real time for, which was he's pried open the box. He starts, like, poking at wires and stuff like that. And as he pulls back a wire and it slips out of his fingers or his tool or whatever all of a sudden it smash cuts to this concert going on and there's like a fire explosion yeah, on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, ah, you cheap shot there, movie. I kind of like that. I I liked it more from the viewpoint of sitting here watching it at home, but in the theaters, I imagine that being a moment where everyone jumps because of how loud and sunny it is, mm. and then they just immediately critique. There's also um one thing, not important to the plot of the movie at all, but apparently this was one of like four movies that came out that Universal actually sent around specifically like new speaker systems and such to theater chains. So it would have this deep rumbling bass track that they could use and it like pumped up the like tension and such with it. It was this Earthquake <clears throat> and Battlestar Galactica. Interesting. Yep. Um, 
Hey, yeah, you know, the, the whole point one part of the 5.1 had to start somewhere, I guess. This yeah. was the, the, the early days of that. Um, yeah, I, I think, again, now this entire final segment just suffers from being too drawn out uh, at almost mm. every stage. Them looking for the bomb feels drawn out. Them disarming it feels drawn out. I did like the the idea of like oh now he's frazzled but he's desperately going back to his car to try and like make a new one quickly. I thought oh mm-hmm. that's interesting and maybe that's how they'll catch him because he's going to make a mistake because now he's not in his comfort zone. Now he's he's rushing. He's stressed. He's you know yeah. They they specifically had a bit when um, Harry was holding the earlier bomb and he said don't try to throw it anywhere because it'll explode on impact. I thought that was going to come back. I thought it was going to be a mm-hmm. thing of you know he's stressed about this bomb and as he goes to try to plant it again he ends up blowing himself up when he's getting like chased or something and he actually ends up buying one of the golden tickets off of someone for a hundred dollars said hey let me on first uh and he even takes the guy's girlfriend with him because he only wants one ticket uh it is so he can plant the explosive on the the car itself Mm -hmm. which and we have seen how big these explosions are i wasn't even sure if it was going to be big enough to actually like affect the track it would kill whoever's sitting in that seat for sure yeah but i I wasn't sure I'm I'm guessing that's kind of the whole goal is not that it has to blow up the roller coaster like permanently. I think it's based off the other crimes he did. He caused that one explosion on the coaster that derailed it, which was a deadly accident. The other one he caused though was just a fire inside of a dark ride, which the character straight up says like didn't kill anyone. It's yeah. not a big thing. I think it's his overall goal here is just to instill this sense of fear, essentially being a terrorist with specifically amusement parks. Just make it feel like they aren't safe. Yeah, no one will no want to use them anymore. Are. Which yeah. makes you think, yeah, his backstory is like, did, did, did someone in his family, did his loved one die on a roller coaster or something? And now he's... Tries... I'd love to know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, the whole end of the movie is that after he's planted the explosive, he gets caught, basically because he was on the first batch of people on the roller coaster. There's a bunch of like news reporters and stuff there. And this journalist grabs him and says, hey, did you enjoy the ride? And he puts a mic in his face and he's like, I, I think it was fine. Pe- people will enjoy it. <laughs> he's, he's very dry. But it's going to get a lot of attention. Somehow, despite the fact there's a big crowd, Harry from like 30 feet away hears the voice. Because they all know his voice because he's phoned them a bunch of times. And he's mm-hmm. like, I recognize that voice. And he goes running. And he insists the news guy like plays it back to him. And for some reason, the news guy just does it for him. I was like, He's not showed you a badge or anything. You're just doing it for him. I'd love him to show up. It's like, my name is Harry Calder, health inspector. Show me what you got. <laughs> but he runs after, you know, looking for, for the bad guy. And at one point, someone in the FBI even says, hey, hi, uh, Harry's chasing after someone. And he's like, well, help him, damn it. He's clearly, he's, he's onto something. Like, help yeah. him. And basically, the other explosive's not even a concern. The bomb disposal guy's like, oh, we know what the frequency is now, so we can just block it, which they do. So, I mean, you say it's not a concern. The entire subsequence is that they're frantically trying to jam it before he can use the detonator. Yeah, I know, but they, they don't really play it for the suspense that I feel like they could have done. Mm. you know like right. they, what they should have done is like cut back to the guy but like, okay i think i think i'm getting it and he's sweating he's like i'm trying to get there in time so that, that he can't use it but they never really do that it just kind of well i yes and no so the the sequence plays out that harry sees him across the crowd he gives chase and whatnot and eventually the fbi guys surround him there's a standoff their guns drawn there's a standoff. but as soon yeah as soon as he he gets guns on him he pulls out the detonator and it's at that point once he's got the detonator in hand 
that they even consider the idea of jamming the frequency. So it is only played up here, and they do cut back a few times. I do think it is built up for tension. But uh, I mean, I, I guess little... it was so ineffective to me that I don't even feel like I remember it. Yeah, because it was, it, again, it was so brief and it was maybe three cutbacks. Cutback number one was him saying, hey, get the frequency. Cutback number two was saying, all right, I got the frequency and I'm starting it. And then cutback three was, all right, it's done. So yeah, it should have been more of like a, a ticking time bomb effectively mm -hmm. of like trying to like reach, get you know, close to well, the wire. That's where I think the time bomb comes in is that he knows and Harry knows at this point, all of them are like, once that ride is done, they're not going to let anybody back on it. Like as soon as the ride's over yeah you're done we're like we, we're gonna take you and little timmy bottom says okay get one of those guys to give me their gun i'm gonna take you hostage harry and that's how i'm gonna get out of this park and notably this is important as harry picks up one of the guy's guns he's not handed it over yet and mm -hmm. then when they you know they they realize or whatever that the signal's been cut and that the bomb's not effective anymore the bad guy lunges towards harry and Harry's still holding this gun, so Harry just shoots him. And that's yeah. the end of the movie, basically. You know, aside from the, the final little bit we mentioned already. I was, I was gonna... No, 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 no. What? No, my dear. Oh, so, of course! Of course! Oh, yes. oh, sorry, sorry. I yes. No, you're right. You're so right to stop me. Good oh, lord. You're right. Okay. Yeah, I forgot. So, he survives the gunshot. He's wounded. Yep. But, but Timmy Bottoms, Paul Rudd, the villain. <laughs> yes. Whatever name you want to call him at this point. He runs away so harry and the the feds are kind of chasing him and this all culminates with him trying to climb over uh, the track of the roller coaster so the demise of our villain and i'll admit <laughs> this was quite funny is being hit like a car accident but with a roller coaster and yep. the snap cut to him like sort of like flying back and hitting something uh is quite funny like the editing oh, here yeah. makes it quite funny i have to admit it's it's there's like this tense music and everything playing it keeps building 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 and then just all of a sudden this limp body just hits some rocks and they just stop everything all tension is immediately removed and it's like oh all right guess we're done <sighs> it it says something that i forgot about that until you yep. interrupted me there. oh jesus it says something yeah, it, would, it would make so much sense <sighs> of yeah he got shot that's the end of the movie but no this had to go that little extra mile there I think this was them trying to like involve the roller coaster in a more direct way for the ending because it felt like yeah. I, I was convinced there was going to be a roller coaster disaster before they caught him because we have to have a big set piece for the finale and they never mm -hmm. did. They, they, yeah. they stopped it from ever again, happening. It just goes back to what I was saying earlier. This movie barely has anything to do with roller coasters. Like, if anything, this movie should be called like amusement or something. Or like theme park like that's the focus the fact that it's on roller coasters is just the fact that the first incident happened the last incident happened and then he rode a roller coaster like two or three times to, in the middle to be fair i mean maybe i'm being too generous here like people often market movies as oh it's like a roller coaster they, they could be double meaning it oh yeah for sure i'm not I'm not saying from a marketing perspective roller coaster isn't the best name it probably is what tested best i'm fine with that but in terms of like people going in expecting a disaster movie centered on roller coasters, there's barely any disaster and there's I mean, barely any roller coasters. I was actually thinking this as the movie was starting is like, how could you do a traditional disaster movie with a roller coaster? Because it's such a sharp thing that happens that, you know, a roller coaster ride lasts a couple of minutes and it's done, right? Mm -hmm. The only thing I could think of is that like a terrorist like somehow stops it halfway. So they're like, 
like maybe in the middle of the loop or something and they're holding them ransom in the whole movie we've just got these yeah. these people that are like in the roller coaster up high just being like oh hope someone saves us like and that's it's like a negotiation movie the whole time kind of thing that that or they specifically do the speed thing and say like all right this roller coaster has to keep on going oh. like we're not pulling the brakes on this yeah i keep on going around the track until i get whatever i want Oh, excuse, how how effed up would the people on, on the coaster be by the end of the movie if they've just been riding this for like two hours nonstop? Well, I fully imagine there would be like a sequence somewhere in like the first act, end of first act, where like some people would be like, oh, I can't take it anymore. I have to go. And they manage to pry off the safety belts and they like try to step off just as it reaches the peak. But they're like, they uh, slip and their feet, foot just falls through and they fall off the peak of the coaster. I'm just imagining like two helicopters with like a platform sort of like mm-hmm. dangling next to part of the track. It's like, hey guys, there's a bouncy cancel here. Jump on it. Jump on it when you go past. I just imagine like they have to relay instructions to them, but it goes by so quickly. They only manage to get out like two or three words uh-huh. on each lap. They're just like, we're going to set up a bouncy castle. You can jump off. That, you know what? This is such a silly idea that we're propagating here, but it would probably be a slightly more interesting movie. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. is arguable, but more interesting, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Speed on a roller coaster. Love it. Uh yeah. I mean I mean obviously we're not being super positive, but I I I don't think it was a terrible watch either. I think it's a perfectly no. fine background movie. It's not offensively bad or anything like that. It's it's serviceable. It's perfectly fine and serviceable. That that would be like mm-hmm. my my broad quick sentence to, to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest disappointment coming in is I had to make that transition from expecting a disaster movie to expecting a cat and mouse game. And it's not I don't dislike cat and mouse game. I think it's fine. But it is a problem of when I go in expecting that disaster aspect and then it just keeps on not delivering on it. I kind of get a little jaded against the movie for things that are not its fault. I I don't think that it's the movie's fault that I expected a disaster movie. Um, yeah, to be yeah, fair, no. though, I said this when we did Juggernaut, though, is mm-hmm. that the first disaster movie that kind of kicked the whole wave off was someone threatening to blow something up. That was, true. you know, airport. So that's, yeah. if, in some ways, is more in line with the original idea of it. But Yeah, I get, yeah but, like, we, we've, at this point, done, like, ten of them. And I feel like eight of them have had the big set piece, you know, mm-hmm. that big thing that they're selling... The whole movie off of well, and this just this had that. that it just had to, it it was it was just you know 20 seconds long <laughs> yes yeah. that's all 20 seconds long and in the first five minutes so <laughs> you can leave after that and honestly you probably can as much as i do enjoy the performances out of some of these actors i think uh seagal is a fantastic like character here i really enjoyed him acting wise but like the plot just drags it just takes too long to get done and that's uh that's George Segal, not Steven Segal, just uh, in case anyone yes. anyone mixed them up there. I would never say I enjoyed Steven Segal's character. Don't you ever put that on me. <laughs> just wait for Segal season. Oh god. Um yeah, it's it's definitely a a movie that existed. That's 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 you you actually uh, going looking for this movie, just trying to watch it, was actually extremely difficult to it, get. It a took copy some hunting. Of. It did take some yeah. hunting. Yeah, Shout Factory put a, a Blu-ray. What was it? Shout Factory. It was some. It was a label like that. But okay. Um. So it does exist in HD. So that is good. But it's not 
super readily available on streaming services so mm. uh you know keep that in mind if you're going hunting but uh that is that is the movie so i guess we should rate it uh what are you uh giving roller coaster Ooh, i mean it i feel like it's just got to be like pretty much a flat five i i i don't think it was anything above average but it really wasn't anything below either. It's just kind of right no, there. In the I, I agree. Of like, I, yeah. I I started this off by saying it is a you know middle of the road. It's just a not good, not bad movie. It's perfectly serviceable. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking five the entire yeah. time. That's what I was thinking. So yeah. So in terms of the collection, though, does that make cutting it close or is it cut? What does absolute neutrality look like? When it comes to the collection, I think you cut it. I think cutting it close implies there's some something worth something having. Special. Well, that's special. I was going as far as special, but <laughs> I think if you're cutting it close, it means you're at least leaning into the positive side. I think if you're just a flat five, you're just flat bang out average. I think that is just uh, not making it. It's just a cut. That's fair. I'm not going to argue with that much. I mean, I don't. I don't have any desire to watch this movie again, and that's my. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the numbers always correlate with. The, the the collection no. making but i think on a, a typical scale i would say you know a six is where you're cutting it close one way or the other and maybe depending on the movie it may go one way or the other but i think mm-hmm. a five is probably typically just going to be a cut there may be exceptions where there's something weird about it that makes it worth having but yeah for the most part i would say a five is just a cut so i'll agree yep all cut right from the collection well, there you go. That is that. And uh, next time on the collector's cut, we got a couple of these left. Uh, we're going to look at a, a plane movie next time, not Airport, because Airport's the whole franchise. We'll do that on its own someday. But mm-hmm. we've got a movie called Skyjacked next time. So right. we'll uh, look at that and see how that is. Uh, but I did mention earlier, of course, uh, patreon.com slash TV. You can get bonus shows from me and David. Uh, we do two bonus shows every month. Uh, every patron gets access to the Criterion Cut, which is our monthly show where we review movies from the Criterion Collection. So, typically speaking, some of the best movies of all time and tends to be a very high standard of movie on yeah. there. Uh, I don't think we've hit one yet that we don't like. I'm sure it'll happen eventually, but... I was going to say, we, we've reviewed Criterion films before, but not for Criterion Cut. That we didn't like. Oh, sure. Yes, 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 yes. 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 I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, but we also have another show at the five dollar and up tier which is the extra real show where we do some of the worst movies of all time and we are uh, either miserable or just laughing maniacally at how insane we are going having to watch things made by neil breen yeah or similar filmmakers so check out that although speaking of neil breen it's a neil breen movie this month on extra reels i don't even mean that but there you go yeah easy great easy bit of promotion our second (laughs) neil breen movie this month on extra reels so there's that, but there's also other bonuses for Streams After Midnight and other shows that we do. So go out and sh- go and check it out. See if you, you want to support all the content and keep it all coming. Uh, mm. We appreciate it. But that is the show. So thank you very much for, for joining us. So thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Keep watching movies. And if you can get it, it's always nice to have Diplomatic Immunity! Diplomatic Immunity!